Do you guys know that we're spiritual beings? Do y'all know that? Does everybody know that? That we operate from a spirit, especially, not especially, but Christians operate from a spirit now. In the natural realm, that's very foreign. And I remember thinking as an outsider before I became a Christian, looking at Christians going, I don't understand. <laughs> and the Bible tells us about that. They don't, you, you can't understand unless you actually experience it. It's not, a, it's not an argumentative thing that I can argue you into it, like intellectually. Um, and if so, I feel like you can be argued back out of it. It has to be experienced. Relationship is, is a reality that we find ourselves in, in Christianity in and of itself is, is based on a relationship with the Father. And so when we operate from the Spirit, sometimes we look and act a little differently. Maybe just me. Does anybody else look and act a little differently? Huh? Sam, how are you doing? Are you still in a body cast? Oh, my goodness. What the heck is going on around here? Trucks running into houses? So are you doing better? Okay, good deal. It's good to see you. <laughs> Sorry to stop everything for Sam. Everyone, Sam. Right. He's doing better. <laughs> All right, anyway, so what was I talking about? My ADD kicked in real hard this morning. Um, we're spiritual beings. We're a little bit odd sometimes, <laughs> obviously. A little bit odd sometimes. And what I find, <laughs> I had noticed, what I find is when, when the spiritual things begin to come out in the natural, we... In church, we kind of dismiss it sometimes, like, well, it's church. But outside, not so much. And I found specifically, and sometimes you may see, see me worshiping, and I'll shake my head sometimes. And sometimes that's, uh, the enemy comes in with thoughts, and I'll go, no, that's not right. And I, and I literally do that. And I, don't, I didn't even realize I did it until somebody said something about it. And I was like, what? Do I? And I was like, oh, yeah, I do. That's kind of weird. Um, but in here, I guess not many people notice it or care too much about but, like, if you're in an elevator and you just go, mm, nope, people like, oh, my God, get out of here. <laughs> yeah. They move real quick. It's the same thing when I, I think, this is not spiritual, but when you think of something funny and you just kind of bust out laughing. So, I'm not laughing at you. It was just something, this is a, never mind. This is something I thought about because I have monologues going on in my head constantly, like cartoons. Um, but anyway, so when we, when we operate um, from the spirit, sometimes we do things that seem unnatural really because they kind of are unnatural, because they're not of the natural realm. But when we find that uh, we, we are in a relationship with a supernatural God, you can, you can take a deep breath and go, okay, that's okay. We, we can function, we can move, and we can operate from this place, not trying to gain access to it, but because we already have it. When During worship, and I was thinking about just breathing, man, it's just so natural to breathe. God gave us breath, and we breathe. It's a very natural thing. My watch tells me to breathe all the time, and I'm like, why? <laughs> I know. It's totally normal. I do it every day. At night, I'm sleeping and I breathe. I don't know why my watch has to remind me to do that. By the way, I turned off the little function that, <laughs> if y'all remember, it, yeah, Siri, it said I don't understand right in the middle of my sermon, which was pretty hilarious. I found out this morning how to turn it off, and I turned it off. So no more disruptions like that, only me explaining it over and over again. All right. So when we operate from the Spirit, things look a little differently. Um, we talked about last week, and I don't want to go through the whole thing. We, we talked about kind of leading from the previous week on into uh, how our words carry power and how our actions carry power, both and, not either or. It's not just actions, or it's not just words. Words and actions both do, both do that. But I want to dig a little bit deeper, and I want to kind of focus on forgiveness today. Um, it's kind of been heavy on my heart all this week, and then even this morning as I was praying, it was just really heavy on my heart about forgiveness too. And so I just want to kind of dig a little bit deeper into the heart of what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about forgiveness. Um, because what we, a tendency that we have, including myself, is... We'll see, we'll see a set of scriptures that look, that paint this picture that we think is the perfect picture of how we're supposed to be, and then we try to mimic that. Instead of just seeing it for what it is, that it's more of a heart thing that we should live from, not try to mimic. 
if that makes any sense. Because what, that's kind of what religion does. Religion tries to, tries to be something that it's not, where relationship just is. Uh, we have the shirts that say fruit happens. We don't see fruit trees straining for fruit to pop out of them. They just produce fruit because that's what's inside of them. They're they tied to a vine. And so in the same way, um, it's, it's a little unnatural sometimes to be forgiving, to show real forgiveness. Now, we can say, I forgive you, but that doesn't always mean you forgive someone, right? Because you can act a different way after you say, I've forgiven you. You can, you can shun people or, uh, what are the kids, ghosts? You can ghost people. Is that what the kids say now? I'm old. You can ghost them. Is that, is that right? Ghosting? I don't know. I'd let all the young people out of here. You can shun them. We'll say shun. Shun. Shun the non-believer. All right. All right, Luke. Hey, somebody got that. Y'all remember Charlie? He's Charlie. All right, Luke 17, 3. <laughs> My people. All right. We, <laughs> it was a kidney. All right, focus, focus, focus. Sometimes I do this to myself. All right, Luke 17, 3. Uh, well, you don't have to go there. I'm just going to kind of mention Luke 17:3 tells his disciples because uh, this kind of springboards to what I want to talk about. He tells his disciples, "Hey, you need to forgive people, and, and uh, if they if they sin seven times against you in a day, forgive them seven times." And he says, "You must forgive them." This is very strong language. You must forgive them. Okay, now remember that as we we move forward. Now that was a little different because Jewish custom it was three times, and at the fourth time you're like, "I don't have to forgive you anymore." <laughs> But when he said seven, they were like, okay. And this is what the Jewish mind would say is, okay, that's a new law. Well, now we have to forgive seven times. Okay, we get it. So we move on. And so the, the disciples were curious after he said that, obviously because Peter asked him in Matthew 18, 21. That's where I want to be. Um, in Matthew 18, 21, after previously, you know, Jesus says, hey, if someone sins against you, forgive them. In a, in a day, forgive them seven times. If they sin against you seven times, you must forgive them seven times. And so Peter goes, okay, not three, but seven so then he comes to him in Matthew 18, 21 and goes, hey, Jesus. He didn't say that exactly, but basically, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. It's like he remembered the other conversation. And, uh, and Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And now what he's saying here is not giving you an algebra equation. He's not telling you, what is 70 times seven? Four, nine, four, 490. He's not telling you, forgive them 490 times in a day, and at 491, you're good. You don't have to forgive him anymore. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying seven times. It's not, he's, not, he's just saying, look, he's, they're asking him a, another law question. He's giving him a hard answer. He's saying, look, can someone even sin against you 490 times in a day? That's some serious. Do y'all know anybody? They could, I mean, I know some pretty, pretty messed up people, but that's a lot of sinning against. <laughs> Do what? <laughs> you know what? Just forget it. Don't ruin my analogies. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sinning can be done at the speed of the internet. Well, I've got slow Wi-Fi, so, I'm, so I can't do it 490 times. Anyway, he's not giving us an equation. Do what? What? <laughs> at 491, you can come back. All right. Anyway, they're asking a law question because he recognizes seven, so he's saying, okay, well, you said seven, so seven times. That's my limit, right? So then eight. I can punch this guy in the throat because he's really getting on my nerves. No, he's saying, no, this is not the amount of times that you can do it. It's not about do this or don't do that. It's about the heart behind what we're doing. Why would the disciples ask him that question? Think about that for a minute. Why are the disciples even asking him? Because they saw what Jesus did. 
they were walking with him and seeing how he acted. What, how did Jesus act? He went around people, tax collectors. I don't like tax collectors. <laughs> Back then, tax collectors were pretty crooked, too. Kind of similar. <laughs> I'm not getting into that. Um, also, uh, lepers. You weren't supposed to touch lepers. They were supposed to be unclean. He would go and, and heal them and spend time with them. Uh, Samaritans, you know, they, Jews didn't associate with Samaritans. Samaritans associate with Jews. He crossed all those, all those boundaries and all those borders, um, and he, he forgave people, and it was like he wasn't keeping count, right? And I think they recognized that. They're like, wait a minute. Jesus forgave more than seven times today. How many times can you forgive in a day? And it's like they're, they're, they're asking good, good questions to, to try to quantify Jesus. How many of you ever, have ever had to quanti- tried to quantify Jesus? It's, it's not, it doesn't work because Jesus is relational the same way we're relational. The same way we, I talk about this all the time, but, but I have a lot of other people, um, especially people that kind of have a pushback against against the gospel. They, they, call, they call it like a grace message as though it's different, but it's the gospel. They push back against it, and, and they're like, uh, well, well, what about this scenario? I'm like, I have no idea about this scenario. I can't even speak on this scenario because I don't know the people that are involved in this scenario. And they say, well, it doesn't matter. It's cut and dry. I'm like, no, it's never cut and dry. It's not cut and dry. Jesus is very clear about it. It's not, it's not that way. And so anyway, um, but I do think it's interesting that he uses the, the number seven. It's interesting that y'all mentioned the six and the three. <laughs> I'm not going to go into all the numerology because I'm not smart enough, but I do know enough about the seven that seven is a, is a number of perfection and completion of wholeness. And I think it's interesting that he says that because Jesus is always doing these awesome multi-layer messages where he, everyone can reach it, everyone can, can discover the truth, whether it's on the surface or deep down. Now, if you dig down deeper and see the seven in completion, it goes all the way back, and I don't want to tell too many stories because I'll, I'll get off, but even when he was talking to the woman at the well, and he asked her, hey, where's your husband? And she said, well, I don't have one. And he's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> You've had five, and the man you're living with is not your husband, which would make six. And what he was saying is, I'm the, sev- I'm the seventh man. I'm the completion. He said, you're, you're looking for your value and your provision and promotion, everything in a man, and you're never going to find it. And I, all the single ladies out there, same. <laughs> you guys, you're never going to find all of that in a man. You find that in Jesus. From that place, then you can now love and, and appreciate. I'm, I'm, I'm getting way off topic. Anyway. He was saying, look, you find completion in me. I'm complete, number seven. I'm the seventh one. And she did. What did she do after that? She went and evangelized, like, radically. And it was awesome because she found something in him that she didn't find in a man, in six men, apparently, six different men. At the same way, when we talk about, when we talk about forgiveness, forgiveness comes from a place of wholeness. Forgiveness comes from Jesus. You, we don't possess enough naturally in us to forgive people in the way that they deserve to be forgiven, but Jesus does. The same way he extended forgiveness to us is the way we extend forgiveness to other people. Is there something up there? Oh, I saw somebody look up. I was like, I didn't give any graphics. <laughs> Mike's on point. He came up with something. He's shaking his head. No, just keep going. All right. Um, everyone, and this is, this is pretty much our message, just as the gospel, everyone has already been forgiven. It doesn't mean I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that everyone has accepted it. You have to receive it. But it's happened already. It's a done deal. Jesus' work is finished on the cross. He doesn't have anything left to do. All we have left to do is receive it. And so our message to everyone is you're forgiven. You go, well, no, I'm not. Yeah, you are. <laughs> that's, our, that's kind of our argument. That's our push is to extend the grace to people until they receive it. We, it's not our responsibility to point out everybody's imperfections because Jesus didn't do that either. 
He went around healing people. Sozo means saved, healed, and delivered, make whole. Jesus went around making people whole, whether he healed them physically, emotionally, um, or spiritually. He healed them. It's what he did. It was very natural to him. We talk about producing fruit. It's very natural to us. It's just like breathing. You go out and you, you extend God's grace to people and you say, you are forgiven. And the same thing when you and I got saved, you don't, you don't understand, right? You don't know what I've done. You don't, you don't know how bad I've been. You, you don't know the things that I've said, the things that I think. You don't know what's going on in me. But, but still that grace persists. No, you don't understand. You don't understand how good this is. You don't understand how, how much love I have for you. And that's what changes people's lives. It says God's goodness, we even sang it, it's his goodness that leads us to repentance. It's not God waiting up there to squash us like a bug. He poured, it said he poured his wrath out on Jesus, all of it. And when Jesus said it was finished, that was all of his wrath. It was done. It was a done deal. And that, that finished work is what we give people. And, and from that place, it's not up to you to do this. This is why we talk about throwing seeds. Listen, you may not water the seeds. You can't make them grow anyway. It's just your responsibility to throw them out there. And that's it. Listen, take a deep breath, everybody. Okay, go get some mints. No, I'm just kidding. Every, that, was, that was a dad joke. I didn't look at you, Doug. Now I am. You don't have to figure out everybody's problems. You don't have to have everybody's answers. That may seem very simplistic, but that keeps a lot of people from, from ministering to others. Especially, and I've talked about this last week too, in the youth, that was the, that was the youth's biggest hang-up is they thought they didn't have enough information to give people, and they thought that they would be lacking if they ministered to people. You're not lacking. Listen, if you have the Holy Spirit, you are not lacking. It is, it is good to learn Scripture and to understand God's heart for people, but Scripture is about the author, not just about the Scripture itself. Even the Bible says that. You look to these words to find life, but it's, it's in me that you find life. Listen, we, we read the book to get to know the author. <laughs> and once we get to know the author, we introduce, that to, we introduce him to everyone else. And you can say that in many different ways. Jesus did the same thing. Look at the birds of the air. Look at the lilies of the... Of, look, look at all these things around us. I can use anything. I can spit in dirt and rub it in your eye and heal you. <laughs> it's, it's, there's no... There's no key other than Jesus. There's no key to unlock this mystery of the kingdom. It's, it's the Holy Spirit living in and through you to other people. All right, forgiveness. <laughs> Cutting a little off topic here. Um, everyone has already been forgiven, so we extend that forgiveness. How are people going to see the bigger picture of forgiveness if we can't forgive the little things? And this is kind of cliche, and we've, we've said it before, but uh, I don't know who wrote it. Somebody wrote it somewhere a long time ago that... that Harboring bitterness or unforgiveness is like drinking poison, hoping the other person would die. That's, that's unforgiveness. Unforgiveness doesn't do anything. The other people don't even know what's going on. They don't even know that they're not forgiven. And you're up at night tossing and turning about it. And it's just illogical. Listen, the freedom that Christ gives us to forgive other people, listen to this, does not justify their actions. Forgiving people does not justify their actions. Never does it justify their actions. What it does is it releases you from the responsibility to try to fix them. And gives that over to the Lord. Why? How does that work? Because he's the one that's giving you the forgiveness to begin with. Not yourself. You're not looking to yourself to do it. And you're not looking at the other person to do it. You're looking at him. We talk about it all the time. If you don't have peace, love, joy, you don't have these things, you have an unlimited supply from him, not enough of yourself. The same way we can't be uh, in a marriage, I can't be the spouse that I need to be on my own because I'm a jerk. <laughs> no, not always. But I can be a jerk, right? But when I go to the Lord and I go, Lord, you know, why... Why is this happening right here? And he goes, hey, remember, remember that heart I gave you? Remember that, remember that trade? 
Use that. Don't, don't go back to the dead one. Don't, don't look back to the one that you don't have. I gave that to you for a reason. Does it make sense? Not just in marriage relationships, in every relationship. When you run across somebody and you're ready to give up on them, take, take a step back and go, okay, where am I drawing from? Am I drawing from my, my old self, my dead life? Am I drawing from this new heart that Christ has given me? He did it for What are we doing with this heart that he gave us? He, he, he went through a lot of trouble to do it. I think we should draw from it. It says that it's like a, um, it's like a river of, of living water flowing. It's for us to draw from. It's good. It's, it's not bad. What I find is the interesting thing, and I say this over and over again, I find that when we extend the forgiveness that is outside of our own ability naturally and, and comes supernaturally from the Holy Spirit, it, it's, a, it's a mystery, but it works in reverse. We, we give it, but then we get it. Not even expecting it, it changes us, right? Have any of you experienced that? You extend it even though they don't deserve it, and then you get something out of it, and you're like, I don't, I'm not, it's not why I'm doing it, but I get it anyway. It's like it splashes back on you. But that's what living water does. Anyway, that's really cool when that happens. Forgiveness is words and action, like we talked about last week. It's not just one or the other. You can use words, but you can also use actions. They're not mutually exclusive. You can, use, you can use either one. You can use social media. You can use text. You can use, I know this is crazy, but you can actually like call people too. <laughs> it's weird. You can actually call them and talk to them. I forget sometimes that you can actually call because we text so much now. But you can actually call people and talk to them. It's really, really neat. It works similar to text, but you use your words out of your mouth hole. Um, <laughs> try that sometimes. I seriously, I tell, I tell my kids this all the time because there's a lot of misunderstandings in text because you can't really convey emotions or sarcasm, or I guess you can, but you put little emojis. And we try, we go, we'll go like all the way around in the world to try to get across an emotion that you could just call and say in three words. And you're like, emoji, emoji, you know, gif, gif, or jif, if you don't know how to pronounce it. And uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I really don't care. Pronounce how you want. Which one is it? I forgive you all for being wrong. All right. <laughs> all right. So, uh, yeah. So I got a story. Uh, how many of you know who Corey Ten Boom is? Many of you probably have heard that of her. This is a story out of her book, and it's pretty rough. Once again, none of this justifies the actions of, of the person who, who hurts you. And this is a very extreme case, probably the most extreme I've ever read. But it gives us a really interesting perspective, and her, the way that she writes it is very genuine, and I just kind of want to um, preface that, that I don't, <clears throat> I don't condone people hurting each other, and I certainly don't, want, don't, don't think that we shouldn't defend the, the helpless because we should. But at the same time, there's, something, there's, there's a jewel in this story that I read this morning that I just want to share with you. Um, basically, Corrie ten Boom was a prisoner. If you, haven't, if you don't know who she was, she was a prisoner um, in the concentration camps. The Nazis uh, actually killed her sister in the same camp that she was in, she actually got out and she began to minister the good news and she didn't lose her faith through the whole thing. And as she's ministering, she went back and she began to minister in Germany too. And as she was doing that, um, she recognized in this, in this, in this uh, uh, sermon that she was giving, she recognized one of the guards that she saw daily um, at, the, at the concentration camp. And this is kind of her account. And I've reduced it a little bit because so, it was really long, but to give you a pretty good idea. Um, Needless to say, she suffered many indignities. Some of the most horrific abuse the world has ever seen happened in these places. So to give you guys know the perspective there. Um, 
But as she was teaching, she said, when we confess our sins, she, she said, I, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. She said, and that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. Now he was in front of me, hands thrust out, a fine message, how good it is to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? You mentioned Ravensbrook, which was the place where she was, the prison that she was in. He said, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. He was saying, I was a guard in there. And she said, no, he, didn't, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Again, the, <clears throat> again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. Jesus, help me, I prayed. <clears throat> I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You, you supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into, one stretch, into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then, <clears throat> and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. I can't imagine. <laughs> I can't imagine having to see and endure the things she did and then come face to face with someone that was basically responsible for her sister's death and all the, all the indignities that she had suffered and, and, and all of that to come to terms with. But it amazes me. And she said, I'd never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Listen, when you... When we talk about things, we can debate and we can argue and we can agree or disagree. But when the rubber meets the road and you experience God's love for yourself, there's something, there's something amazing about that. You don't, you don't argue that out. Like Mark used to say, you can't unring that bell. Once that happens in you, once you have a relationship with the God of the universe, skeptics don't really mean a whole lot. <laughs> And you can get into detailed semantics and argue theology if you want to. But once you've experienced the love of God, it changes everything. It changes everything. And you can do things that you thought you could never do. And, and you can find yourself in places you thought, I'll never recover from this. And you can find yourself weeks or years later going, I can't believe that God pulled me out of this mess. I can't believe that there, there actually is hope. <laughs> I found something. And I'm telling you, when you experience forgiveness like that, it should be a very natural byproduct to extend that forgiveness to those around us. I'm going to give you one more example. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin so that each of us could receive the free gift of forgiveness and we could become right with God. There is no good news without forgiveness. Jesus, whole perfect beaten nearly to death, spit on, humiliated, dying one of the worst deaths imaginable, struggling to breathe 
as blood fills his lungs. It says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's not just a, a good teacher, a good moral teacher. He's not just a prophet. Listen, when he says these words, these words carry life. When he says, forgive them, he means it. It's not just a good, good lesson to learn from. He's, he is speaking life. He's telling his father, look, it doesn't matter what they're doing because nothing outside of me is going to affect me. Internally, I know who I am. I'm a son, and I know the father, and I'm talking to him right now, and my heart is that they are forgiven. That heart that I talked about earlier that was traded, it's completely unmerited. You don't deserve it, and I don't deserve it. But the good news is that we get it anyway. <laughs> we talk about this new covenant. You weren't even invited to the old one unless you're, I don't know many Jews. But you weren't even invited to the first one. We should be leaping. every. We should be like Buddy running around this place every Sunday, so excited about this new covenant that we get invited into. What amazes me, after he says this, they divided his, like in the midst of him saying, forgive them, they, they gamble for his clothes. <laughs> what, a, what, a, what a vivid picture of divinity and humanity crashing together and our, our ignorance and our selfishness. And Jesus saying, just forgive them. They don't, they, don't, they don't really get it. They don't understand what's going on. And then he does it. He makes it happen. He makes it available. It says that, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We talked earlier about our past sins. Listen, it's your future sins too. Because when he died 2,000 years ago, every one of your sins were future. So if you mess up today, it's covered. Don't worry about it. Don't do it. It's probably stupid. I mean, if you want me to give you good advice, don't do stupid stuff. Don't do things that hurt you and hurt the people around you. Listen, all sin does is overpromise and underdeliver. If you want to be bitter, harbor unforgiveness. If you want to seek righteousness, peace, and joy on your own, there's plenty of avenues to try to find that. I've been down many of them. Many of you have. I can tell you not to do it. But I promise you, if you experience the love of the Father, you, you won't be so concerned with those things. They may pop up here and there. They do. They pop up in my head, too. My old life comes back and says, you, I think you might need this. And sometimes I have to go, mm. nope. I have to freak out the people in the elevator every once in a while. Mm -mm. I don't need that. But I'm telling you, <clears throat> this new life is awesome. It's good. It's fun. God is not some cosmic killjoy waiting for you to mess up so he can kick you. It's not what fathers do. I don't wait around for my kids to mess up so I can kick them. If they mess up, I go, hey, don't do that. That was dumb. <laughs> do this. It's better for you. It's the same way God does. Listen, when, when we talk about forgiveness, and we've talked about it in here many times, being unoffendable, it will free you up a lot of time and stress if you just are unoffendable. If you just forgive people, if you go ahead of them and go, okay, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Even if they're being malicious, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Because I'm not, I'm not drawing life from them. I draw life from another source. So from this place, I can now, now I can see Whoever is offending me now, I can see the hurt in their life that's causing them to offend me, not the offense itself. And I can respond to that. That's what Christians do. You don't respond with more offense. 
you come back and go, okay, I see past whatever you're, you're coming at me with. That comes from a place. I want to find that place. <laughs> Let's talk about that. That's, that's maturity, and we're all on a journey, <laughs> me included. That's spiritual maturity looking for those places where we can actually speak life into people and not try to defend ourselves because we already have a defender. Brian posted something from Honduras yesterday, I think, that talked about we, we, we live from victory, not towards it. Something we say in here all the time. So that same, that, that forgiveness that we have is a supernatural forgiveness. If you're a Christian in here, if you're not, you're off the hook. You can be, you can not forgive people if you want to. It's not beneficial. <laughs> but I'm telling you, if you're a Christian, you have the source of forgiveness inside you and you can forgive those that are around you. <clears throat> forgiveness is not a response to a corrected behavior, but an extension of God's character is very nature permeating humanity in and through you and I. Let me say that again. Forgiveness is not a response to a corrected behavior. A response to a corrected behavior is good discipline, but not for forgiveness. Forgiveness is a different animal. That's hard. That doesn't compute sometimes because we want to see change, right? And it's with good intentions we want to see change. Listen, God saw through any results that were happening right in front of him, obviously because they were still casting lots for his clothes when he said forgive them. It's up to us to see past people's hurts and troubles and offenses and see the potential of God in, in and through people. There's no plan B. <laughs> we are the light of the earth. <laughs> We're it, and it's up to us to do it in actions and in words. So whole people will make others whole, and bitter people will make others bitter. Drinking water out of a coffee cup. Stand up with me. I want to pray for you. Father, I pray any bitterness that's in me or in anyone else, Lord, that you would just cast it out. Father, if there's any unforgiveness in our hearts, Lord, help us to recognize the new heart that you've given us. Lord, we've got a new well to draw from, and we're not looking to ourselves to forgive others. We look to you. And you give us a very good picture of what that looks like when we look to the cross. We see the truth that, that just as your father said, I'm pleased in you, you're my son. You said in us, look, I love them, forgive them. Even before they come to know me, I want to, I want to throw that truth out there to them and call them up to it. So, Father, I thank you for your kindness that it leads us to repentance. It leads us to see you for who you truly are as a father. And, Lord, as sons and daughters, we don't... <clears throat> We don't walk around like orphans looking for your approval, but we know that we already have it, and it gives us plenty of time to, to share that with other people. We're not self-centered, but we're Christ-centered. And if we're Christ-centered, then we're others-centered, so we love those that are around us. So Lord, I pray that <clears throat> you would make us aware, you would open our eyes, Lord, that we would pay attention to those that are around us. There are so many people that need you in each, and one, each one of our lives, and, and I can't reach them all, but you guys can. <laughs> and so, Father, I pray that, that, that you would just open our eyes to those that we have a sphere of influence around, Lord, that we can, we can speak life into them, or that we can draw from your tree of life and give to them. In Jesus' name, amen.